from the Financial Times in London, I'm James Pickford, arts news writer, and this is News in Focus, where we offer our thoughts on some of the stories that we think matter. That was a clip of Alistair Hogarth, a professional pianist, trying out one of the many pianos left out for the public in London's open spaces. Many of us are budding pianists, but few of us actually own one. We're more likely to own a keyboard, which sounds more or less like a piano, but isn't quite the same thing. Thomas Hale, Alphaville reporter, thought he'd like to buy the real thing, so he went looking in London. Tom, tell us what you found. I was actually in a pub where there was a piano that had a sign on it that said, please do not play the piano. And I grew up learning the piano, a kind of mediocre but enthusiastic pianist. So I was kind of reminded by this that maybe I should get back into the piano. And I went online the next day to try and find a piano. And there was just an avalanche of pianos for free on various websites online. And in hindsight, it's pretty easy to see why. But at the time, it was quite a shocking spectacle. And that was the beginning of looking into the social history of pianos in the home, especially in big cities like London, where we're living in tighter and tighter spaces. And it's so much more difficult to fit a piano in. And is that your diagnosis of why that was the case then? Yeah, I think the only thing I can say with complete confidence is my own case. And I didn't actually end up buying a piano because at a stretch, it might have fitted in the flat I was living in. But, you know, my experience of living in London, I've lived in five different places in six years. So if I were to buy a piano, they're such heavy and permanent things that it's almost a marker of you're going to stay in a place. And nowadays, it's true of most people my age and generation, we tend to move around in a city like London between different flats. So something heavy like a piano that's designed to be moored to a place isn't really suited for the way people are living anymore. Well, that's right. I mean, I too am a pianist and I have a place I've lived in now for 15 years in North London. And when I moved in, I knew I was going to be there for a long time. And so I was able to get my grandfather's piano, which is a grand piano, into the house. And now I think, well, I can't possibly move anywhere because this enormous piece of furniture. Tell me, when you looked at these instruments, these are instruments in good condition. These are the ones going for free because they're extraordinary pieces of craftsmanship, aren't they, as much as anything? They are almost always in quite bad condition, in need of tuning, in need of repairs. I mean, to come back to the point about these pianos being such heavy, unwieldy instruments, that's the reason partially there's so many of them still around in London houses, because it's such a hassle to get rid of them. And they're quite beautiful pieces of furniture. And often, really, the big part of it is the human connections that people feel to their relatives or family members who originally bought the piano. Of course, Victorian and Edwardian pianos were designed to outlive human beings. So they always have an immense personal history attached to them. People tend to get rid of their pianos when someone's died or they're moving because they're getting divorced or they have to sell their London family home to cash in on retirement. So the piano is almost this perpetual observer to these profound milestones that people go through in life. Really, the piano is just an extreme version of a much wider trend about, on the one hand, young people not being able to hold on to as many concrete things as they pass through different places of living, and also older people downsizing from these large terrace houses in London. I've also heard another factor behind this, because I have had a number of piano technicians and tuners in over the years, and... They've also, there is this issue with modern housing, which is, is so energy efficient and buildings are so hermetically sealed now that this can create a problem, particularly where you have Scandinavian style underfloor heating. 
And a piano technician I know well regularly goes around to properties, unfortunately, to condemn pianos because the soundboard, which is the thing that produces the sound, the solid piece of wood in the machinery, has simply split after the piano has been moved into a new property and there's no humidity in the room. Absolutely. One of the strange things I came across when I was looking into the history of pianos was the rise of the piano smashing competition in the 50s and 60s where people would haul pianos out onto the village green and they'd have a competition to smash them up and the competition was you had to get every piece of the piano through a letterbox in order to win and the fastest person to smash it up was the winner and got a prize and it was like a craze that swept the country in the 50s and 60s and my original uninformed hypothesis had been of course it's all about the TV that people had a piano in their front room the TV came in, so the piano had to go out to make space for the TV. And looking into it, it seems that's not the best hypothesis. A better explanation is actually changes to the conditions inside the home. The rise of central heating, double glazing, which made the temperature and the humidity and really the climate of the home different. And pianos were not designed for that climate. So you had this strange historical trajectory where pianos had sanctified the concept of the home in the Edwardian period. You know, if you had a home, you would mark it with the purchase of a bed and a piano. And then you had this feeling later in the 20th century of the home kind of conspiring against the piano. Very subtle changes that you might not notice in the way the home is put together and the way the home works were making it difficult for these pianos to survive. And in somewhere like London, that's got more and more extreme as many family homes have been carved up and converted into flats. And often that means that the little things you wouldn't think about in the design of a flat, like the staircase, you can't get a piano in the doorway, you can't get a piano in. There's just no way for a piano to fit anywhere. I mean, you look at houses designed in an earlier era, they were designed specifically to have a space for pianos. Yes, the bay window. I mean, the other thing people often underestimate, I think they think that a piano tuner will come in and revive their piano entirely. But actually, there's a very big difference between tuning a piano and refurbishing an instrument that has been around for maybe a hundred years and the costs of doing that where you pull out the guts you shave down the felts on the ends of the hammers you repair any of the pieces of wood and gizmos inside is much higher and there are few people around who can do it properly what did you find when you asked about the sort of industries that support people who want to have pianos buy and sell pianos and keep them in good repair yeah i think a lot of the manual trades that arose from the piano supply chain tuning is the most obvious but also restoration all kinds of small specialisms that people used to be trained in has basically almost completely died out most of the institutions that taught these things like for example the london college of furniture was the big center of piano tuning they no longer provide training on piano tuning. There was a long historical tradition in this country of blind people working in piano tuning, one of the links to which was men in World War I returning to England having been blinded by mustard gas in the trenches and they worked in the piano tuning industry. But the Institutes for Blind Education no longer teach piano tuning anymore. I mean, I spoke to one piano restorer who said that she couldn't find anyone under the age of 45 to work with who knew the specialist skills. And she'd recently worked with a welder on a piano and mentioned this point to the welder. And the welder had said it's exactly the same in the world of welding. We can't find young people who are trained in the very technical and manual skill of welding. Part of this story is really about young people flocking to cities in this services-driven, globalised economy and the decline of young people going into manual trades. But won't listeners simply say, yes, but there is now an industry of electronic keyboards that can replace these pianos and are selling very well. Yeah, absolutely. The big difference there is the technology of the piano was some of the most advanced technology 
you would find in the 19th century incredibly intricate takes a lifetime to learn you know really how it works in complete detail and that technology has remained mostly unchanged if you see an acoustic piano now it's not that different technologically to what people would have been playing 100 years ago the electronic technologies that now dominate the world are of a completely different breed i mean there's a famous idea of deliberate bringing about of obsolescence in these things so people keep buying them which there's a lot of truth in but software and electronic products nowadays Every few years, whatever you bought becomes out of date. You need to buy a new one and it's all changed. And so even the idea of having expertise in that technology is up against the product cycle, these very powerful forces. So if nothing else, it's just interesting to think of the piano as a kind of Amazon Alexa of the 19th century that stayed unchanged. And that's where we come back to the idea of the home and the permanence and the weightiness of the piano. You just can't get it out of your home. You can't be rid of it for both physical and emotional reasons. It doesn't become obsolescent. You can keep restoring it. It's made out of wood. It's made out of iron. It's designed to just stay alive and keep going and keep going. But of course, they are, in some respects, different instruments. I have both a normal piano, an acoustic piano, and a keyboard that I've had probably unusually for 30 years. But it's a different instrument in the sense that you don't get the resonance that you do when you hit the keys on a conventional piano. Certain of the other strings will vibrate in harmony, and even more so if you put the pedal down. But you will get these resonances, these tones, the ability to create sounds that are simply impossible to create on an electronic keyboard. Yeah, absolutely. I can remember when I was learning the piano as a child and we'd have keyboards at school and the resistance was so weak that you just had no control over the sound, over the tone. So for many years, I didn't really encounter keyboards again. I just thought they were completely useless. And then, you know, a few years ago, I think a friend of mine who's a very good pianist had in his flat a small digital piano, but it was an expensive one. And if you had a go on it, it just felt like you were playing a piano. And so the technology with digital pianos has progressed amazingly. So on the one hand, people with ears that are better trained than mine can still hear all kinds of different tones from a soundboard, from the wood grown in the Alps or Tibet or wherever. I think really the bigger thing is the sensation of playing an old piano that's been crafted in an earlier age and many people have played, maybe people you knew or people in your family have played it. And ultimately these are pieces of technology designed for people to perform artistically and to find some kind of artistic meaning from and the sense of it being an old and legacy and elegiac instrument is part of the artistic process. And you're never going to really have that with a digital piano. I think it's curious, isn't it, that we hear a lot about people's thirst for real live music experiences and maybe smaller scale experiences. And yet it's happening at the same time as the pianos are being cleared out, as being destroyed. So there's this sort of countervailing trend going on there. People want the reality. They want to hear this sort of authenticity in their music, but actually we're making it harder to do that. Yeah, and I think we come back to the pianos in South London pubs that no one ever played and had signs on them saying, don't play the piano. And of course, pianos in pubs used to be this amazing social activity, the main social activity of a certain period of London life. But nowadays, people tend to play pianos on their own with the exception of the public pianos in stations. Well, let's end with some clips from some of the people who have enjoyed the use of pianos in public spaces in London. A testament to the power of the acoustic instrument to give pleasure, even when in need of a little tuning and reconditioning. My past five years, we've had very good people just stop and they play the piano. And it's very interesting. They play Beethoven, 
Child Skolsky, and they played different various mu music artists. A lot of um, customers who are passing, they stop and they listen to them. It relaxes you, you feel happy. Have you got a piano at home? No, I haven't, but I've got keyboard and I've got five boys. We've always loved music. Tell us a bit about what the piano means to you today. It's a stress reliever. When I see piano, I have to stop and listen to the one playing, or possible, I have to play. I come here to practice, and I do new repertoire, and I love performing, and it's a great, great passion of mine. The music drives me physically, mentally. I think you can feel it when I'm eating, when I'm walking down the road. There's a lovely piano here, and uh, it's as much part of my life as eating and sleeping.